Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi. How you feeling? How are things? Well, you know. How about this beautiful <laughs> spate of weather that we're having, though? Oh, beautiful. Again, Finally. Uh, recording much earlier in the year. Than you're listening <laughs> to this, but... Uh, yeah, we can finally like go outside and there's plants and yeah, it's nice. all at once. It's very nice. This this will sound insane to you, my our listeners, uh, at the end of August when this is <laughs> yeah. this is recording. But in this moment in the past, it is a novelty that there is so much niceness outside. Yes. So um, there is a blessing right there. Yes. But. Uh, I'm excited because you have a topic today that I know very little about. Perfect. That's that's my goal here on this very podcast is to share information of topics about which people know very little. <laughs> Done. See, that's our that's our mission statement. See, that was our original tagline, but it, <laughs> it was too hard to remember all of the conjunctions. Yes, exactly. That's our I would say that's our mission and our vision statement, <laughs> speaking in museum speak. So great. I feel yeah. good about it. So um I feel like this has come up on Learner League a few times and mm-hmm. in um pretty much any other trivia instance in which it has come up, not many people on my team have um known about this. <laughs> So wow, I feel I feel like there's some shade being thrown in my direction. Anybody in particular? It's wow. just just in general, you know. I feel I'm, like I, I feel like people forgot to learn about this is all. Yeah. That's true, but I feel personally attacked. The- I just want that the record to show. <laughs> <laughs> so, today's episode is called 15 plus 105 miles on the Suez Canal. That's very good. <laughs> Thanks. I was proud of that one. I'm very, very proud of you for that one. That's very good. So right off the bat, I'm going to tell you where the Suez Canal is. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I feel like canal wise, we're all very familiar with the Erie Canal, if only yes. for the song. Yeah. And uh, Panama Canal. Sure. We know the Panama Canal. Great. Absolutely. Something this, about Teddy Roosevelt. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, this one though is is a big one mm-hmm. and I feel like uh we don't know a lot about it right now. So, no. The Suez Canal is a man-made waterway connecting the Mediterranean Sea to the Indian Ocean via the Red Sea. It enables a more direct route for shipping between Europe and Asia, basically allowing for passage from the North Atlantic to the Indian Ocean without having to circumnavigate the African continent. Oh, yeah, that's a long way. That's a long way. We've talked mm-hmm. about explorers before. We've talked about it with capes. We talked about uh, <laughs> sailing, all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. This way, mm-hmm. shortcut. Um, this is also often considered to define the border between Africa and Asia. And again, it provides the shortest maritime route between Europe and the lands lying around the Indian and Western Pacific Oceans. Mm-hmm. So this waterway is vital for international trade, and it is one of the world's most heavily used shipping lanes. Um and because of that, it has been at the center of much conflict since it opened to the public in 1869. 
So wow. the Suez Canal stretches for about 120 miles from Port Said on the Mediterranean Sea in Egypt, south to the city of Suez, Egypt, which is located on the northern shores of the Gulf of Suez. This canal separates the bulk of Egypt from the Sinai Peninsula. It took 10 years to build, was officially opened in November 1869, and the waterway is owned and operated by the Suez Canal Authority. Um, its use is intended to be open to ships of all countries, whether for purposes of trading, commerce, travel, or war. Mm. So let's talk about how the canal got built. Yes. There was an interest in a marine route connecting the Mediterranean Sea and the Red Sea dating back all the way to ancient times. Uh, there were a series of small canals connecting the Nile River to the Red Sea as early as 2000 BCE. But mm. they didn't you know, last forever. And so we're fast forwarding. We're in the 18th century now. Um, after conquering Egypt in 1798, French military commander Napoleon Bonaparte sent a team of surveyors to investigate the feasibility of cutting the Isthmus of Suez and building a canal from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. But after there were four separate excursions to the region, his scouts actually incorrectly concluded that the Red Sea was about 30 feet higher than the Mediterranean. Uh -oh. So they warned that any attempt to create a canal could result in catastrophic flooding across the Nile Delta. So yeah. they're like, since it's 30 feet higher, it's really going to be impossible to mm -hmm. you know make a direct route that way. It would be really expensive. We would have to do a lot of stuff with the land. There would have to be a lot of, um, at that point, I don't know if that, how many like locks and dams they had in place in the world at no, that time, sure, but, yeah, yeah. but eventually you would have to create something like that. So the surveyor's faulty calculations are basically enough to scare Napoleon away from pursuing this project and plans for a canal stalled until 1847 when a team of researchers actually confirmed Mm, mm, they were wrong. There was no serious uh, difference in the altitude between the Mediterranean and the Red Seas. Like, like hey, your, no. numbers, your numbers were off. You moved a decimal point over, <laughs> you know. So it actually was, in reality, easier, and they definitely could have built it then, but yes. because they got those calculations wrong. Yep. See, math is so important. <laughs> and I say this as someone who does not study or is good at math, but... There are people out there who are. So we're we able need to you. recognize that. Absolutely. Yes. Exactly. Yep. So we here at Misinformation <laughs> are supportive of math. <laughs> Not to speak for all of us, but I, you I'm know pretty what? sure I'll you're on. I'll prove that. I'll prove okay. that message. Great. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so French explorer and engineer Lenon de Belfond, he Ooh. surveyed the Isthmus of Suez and again confirmed that the Mediterranean and Red Seas were, contrary to that belief, actually at the same level of altitude. So this meant that a canal without locks could be built, making construction significantly easier. Yeah. In 1854, French diplomat Fernand de la Cep was granted permission to create a company to construct a canal. So Lesseps' first action was to create the Commission Internationale pour le Percement de l'Isthmus de Suez, uh, Ooh, the I'll International move. Commission for the Piercing of the Isthmus of Suez. Um, wow, this commission, of yeah, very, <laughs> very literal. The piercing of the Suez. Suez. 
So his commission was made up of 13 experts from seven different countries. And at the time, many British statesmen considered its construction a French political scheme designed to undermine the British dominance of global shipping. So So the Brits were very suspicious of this French commission. But their final report was completed in 1856, and the pilot study estimated that a total of 2.6 billion cubic feet of Earth would have to be moved, including 600 million feet of Earth on land and another 2.1 billion feet dredged from water. So so even though this is like, oh, look at this. It's so easy. Like, man, Napoleon was dumb. Now they're like, oh. So actually, we actually have to dig it. Nasa. It's not like, see, I am always imagining like when you're a kid and you're you're building like your sandcastles and you build like a little like lake or a moat or whatever. And then you're like, I'm going to create a river. And then all you do is just kind of like create a divot with your, your hand. Drag your yeah, hand. Yeah, drag your hand. <laughs> That's what I imagine. Like you just take like a bunch of guys with shovels and just start digging and it flows in. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, uh, it's too bad Lauren wasn't on this commission. They, right? Maybe they would have been able to do this faster. I don't know. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, don't listen to me, guys. And ever. their original cost estimate was about 200 million francs in the year. Yeah, 1856. So that was, that was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, two years later, the Suez Canal Company was formally established and it was given a 99-year lease over the waterway and surrounding area. So construction began at the northernmost Port Said end of the canal in early 1859. In February 1860, the New York Times called this project, quote, an enterprise designed to be of such incalculable benefit to the civilized world. So they recognized early on, like, this is, this is a huge deal. Yeah. The excavation work ended up taking 10 years with an estimated 1.5 million people working on the project. Um, The Egyptian government initially supplied most of the labor by forcing the poor to work for nominal pay or no pay and under the threat of violence. Um, Beginning in late 1861, tens of thousands of peasants used picks and shovels to dig the early portions of the canal by hand. Progress was painfully slow. And the project hit a snag after Egyptian ruler Ismail Pasha abruptly banned the use of forced labor in 1863. So he was like, all right, you know what? We're going to pay them. Like... You can't just like force wow, these a, guys into it. <laughs> what a were benevolent like, leader. Yeah, and the company was like, well, how well are we going to pay for this? So uh. <laughs> it is believed that tens of thousands of workers died while working on the Suez oh, Canal from Lord. cholera and other terrible causes. Horrible so things, Accidents, yeah. diseases, you name it. Um, so faced with a critical shortage of workers, Lesseps and the Suez Canal Company changed their strategy and they began using several hundred custom-made steam and coal-powered shovels and dredgers to dig the canal. So that's better than digging people? by hand. Yeah. yeah. People <laughs> uh, getting not paid digging by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this new technology gave the project the boost it needed and the company went on to make rapid progress during the last two years of construction. So... About three-fourths of all of the sand that was eventually moved during construction of the main canal was eventually handled by heavy machinery rather than by by person. Yeah. Political turmoil in the region also negatively impacted the construction of the canal. So at this time, Egypt was ruled by Britain and France. 
and there were several rebellions happening against colonial rule. So along with the limitations of construction technology at the time, this caused the total cost of building the canal to balloon to, at this point, about $100 million, which uh, is more than double the original estimate. Sidebar. Um, as the Suez Canal neared completion in 1869, French sculptor Frédéric Auguste Bartholdi tried to convince Ferdinand de Lesseps and the Egyptian government to let him build a sculpture called Egypt Bringing Light to Asia at its Mediterranean entrance. This was to be inspired by the ancient Colossus of Rhodes, and Bartholdi envisioned a 90-foot-tall statue of a woman clothed in Egyptian peasant robes holding a massive torch that would also serve as a lighthouse to guide ships into the canal. Huh, that sounds familiar. familiar? So this project never materialized, but Bartholdi continued shopping around the idea for his statue. And in 1886, he finally unveiled a completed version in New York Harbor, officially called Liberty Enlightening the World. The monument has since become better known as the Statue of Liberty. So so, so we got the sloppy seconds <laughs> of the Suez Canal Project is what you're telling me? Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. So instead, at that point, they, they built the Port Said Lighthouse that was built instead by Francois Coigny in 1869. So the Suez Canal does not take the shortest route across the isthmus. The, oh. um, the shortest route would be about 75 miles or 121 kilometers. Instead, it utilizes several lakes. So from north to south, there's Lake Manzala, Lake Timsa, and the Bitter Lakes. The Suez Canal is an open cut without locks. There are some extensive straight lengths of the canal, and there Mm -hmm. are eight major bends of it. Um, To the west of the canal is the low-lying delta of the Nile River, and to the east is the higher, rugged, arid Sinai Peninsula. Mm. So Ishmael Pasha, who is the Kedev of Egypt and the Sudan, formally opened the Suez Canal on November 17, 1869. The completion was a cause for considerable celebration. In Port Said, the extravaganza began with fireworks and a ball attended by 6,000 people, including many heads of state, including Empress Eugenie, the Emperor of Austria, the Prince of Wales, the Prince of Prussia, and the Prince of the Netherlands. So this was a major event. Mm Mm-hmm. So after the canals opened, officially, the first ship to navigate through the canal was the imperial yacht of French Empress Eugenie. It was called L'Aigle, which is the eagle. And then Mm. it was followed by the British ocean liner Delta. So we had a French ship go through and then a British ocean liner go through. Okay. Unofficially, (laughs) the HMS Newport, a British Navy ship, was actually technically the first to enter the waterway (laughs) with its captain having navigated it to the front of the line under the cover of darkness the night before the ceremonial (laughs) opening it's like you know what we're We're gonna do it yeah so like (laughs) we're gonna do it so like britain was already like kind of mad and suspicious Mm -hmm. and, and everything of france before all this and so this way they made sure um so the captain george Nares, was officially reprimanded for the deed but secretly lauded by the british government for his efforts in promoting the country's interests in the region yeah like (laughs) like publicly they were like oh this guy oh i'm gonna i'm gonna need your gun and your badge on my desk and then behind closed doors they were like nice high fives like (laughs) (laughs) so only steamships were able to use the canal at first because sailing vessels still had difficulty navigating the narrow channel in the region's Mm. tricky winds 
Um, traffic was less than expected during the canal's first two years of operation, but the waterway had a huge impact on world trade and played a key role in the colonization of Africa by European powers. Ooh. Yeah, that's true. Um, the owners <laughs> of the Suez still experienced financial troubles, and Ishmael Pasha and others were forced to sell their stock shares to Great Britain in 1875. Uh. Um, France remained the majority shareholder in the canal. And so, by the way, the original canal didn't permit two-way traffic. Um, ships would oh. stop in a passing bay to allow the passage of ships in the other direction. And around that time, transit time for to go the whole 120 miles was about 40 hours. Oh, wow. Still okay. less, still significantly <laughs> less than having to circumnavigate all of Africa. A absolutely. But keep that in mind. It's about 40 yeah. hours at that point. So in 1888, the Convention of Constantinople decreed that the Suez Canal would operate as a neutral zone under the protection mm. of the British, who had by then assumed control of the surrounding region, including Egypt and Sudan. Um, the British also famously defended the canal from attack by the Ottoman Empire in 1915 during World War I. Mm -hmm. In 1936, the Anglo-Egyptian Treaty reaffirmed Britain's control over the waterway, which became vital during World War II when Axis powers of Italy and Germany attempted to capture it. Um, by 1939, transit time had been reduced from 40 hours to 13 hours. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So they had adopted a system of convoys also consisting of one northbound and two southbound per day. So they figured out like, well, you don't have to like go a little bit and then pull over to the side, let someone through and go mm -hmm. a little bit and pull over. Instead, it was kind of being scheduled like, OK, we're sending all of these ships one way and then mm -hmm. it's your guy's turn. I see. OK. Mm hmm. And um, so it's World War II. Despite the supposed neutral status of the canal, Axis ships were prohibited from accessing it for much of the war. Sorry. Uh, yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> and after the end of World War II in 1951, Egypt withdrew from the Anglo-Egyptian Treaty. Mm. So here's where a big event happens. It's called the Suez Crisis. Ah, it's a crisis. Oh, Are you no. ready? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Following years of negotiation, the British withdrew their troops from the Suez Canal in 1956, effectively handing control over to the Egyptian government, who were now under the leadership of President Gamal Abdel Nasser. So Nasser quickly moved to nationalize the canal's operations and did so by transferring ownership to the Suez Canal Authority, which at that point was a quasi-government agency in July 1956. Uh, Nasser's decision was considered rash, um, though it's important to remember that the canal's concession was imminent, since according to the original contract signed in 1856, Egypt would take over its operation completely in the 1960s anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so this nationalization of the canal was supposedly to help fund a dam across the Nile River. Egypt was supported by Soviet arms and money. And also Egypt right now was mad at the United States because apparently the United States had promised them like, oh yeah, we'll give you some money to construct a big dam on the Nile River. <laughs> like we got you guys, but apparently like the, then the U.S. Like, never backed happened. off of that. Sure. So Egypt, they're, they're mad at everybody that was yeah. occupying their land. They're mad at the U.S. for, um, for not giving their them money. They like the Soviets because the Soviets are giving them money and weapons. Um, so Nasser argued that tolls from the ships passing through the canal would pay for the eventual construction of the Aswan High Dam on the Nile River. Mm -hmm. So the British people, they're mad. They're mad at this move. And they sought the support of the French and neighboring Israel in an armed assault to retake the canal. 
So what became known as the Suez Crisis began on October 29th, 1956, when Israeli armed forces pushed into Egypt toward the Suez Canal. The Uh-oh. Israelis were soon joined by the French and British forces who landed at Port Said and Port Fouad and took control of the area around the Suez Canal. Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev railed against the invasion and threatened to rain down nuclear missiles on Western uh, Europe. No, if, don't do that. <laughs> if the Israeli-French-British force didn't withdraw. So... U.S. President Dwight Eisenhower's administration warned the Soviets that reckless talk of nuclear conflict would only make matters worse and cautioned Khrushchev to refrain from direct intervention in the conflict. Um, Eisenhower also issued stern warnings to the French, British, and Israelis to give up their campaign and withdraw from Egyptian soil. So Eisenhower, he's also mad at the British right now, too, um, Mm -hmm. for not keeping the U.S. informed about their intentions. Uh, so the U.S. threatened all three nations with economic sanctions if they persisted in their attack. Fearing an escalation in the conflict, Canadian Secretary of State uh, for External Affairs, Lester B. Pearson, recommended the establishment of a United Nations peacekeeping force, the first of its kind, to protect the canal and ensure access to all. So the U.N. ratified Pearson's proposal on November 4th, 1956. And although the Suez Canal Company continued to operate the waterway, the U.N. force maintained access as well as peace in the nearby Sinai Peninsula. Uh, Pearson won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1957 for organizing the United Nations Emergency Force to resolve the Suez Canal crisis. Nice. By the way. Good for him. In the end, Egypt technically emerged victorious and the British, French, and Israeli governments withdrew their troops in late 1956, early 1957. This event was a pivotal event among Cold War superpowers. Oh, yeah. British Prime Minister Anthony Eden resigned in the wake of the scandal and the Suez Canal was left under Egyptian control. So that is uh, 1956, 1957. Uh, Fast forward about 10 years later, we get to the Six-Day War. Oh, no. Uh, A series of border disputes were the major spark for the Six-Day War. At the onset, Nasser ordered the UN peacekeeping forces out of the Sinai Peninsula. Israel immediately sent troops into the region and ultimately took control of the east bank of the Suez Canal. Not wanting Israeli ships to have access to the waterway, Nasser imposed a blockade on all maritime traffic. On June 5th, 1967, the Israeli Defense Forces initiated Operation Focus, a coordinated aerial attack on Egypt. And that morning, about 200 aircraft took off from Israel, swooped west over the Mediterranean before converging on Egypt from the north. After catching the Egyptians by surprise, they assaulted 18 different Egyptian airfields, eliminating roughly 90% of the Egyptian (gasps) Air Force as it sat on the ground. Are you serious? Oh my God. Yes. So then Israel expanded the range of its attack and decimated the air forces of Jordan, Syria, and Iraq as well. Oh, my God. And in concert with the airstrikes, Israeli tanks and infantry stormed across the border and into the Sinai Peninsula and the Gaza Strip. Over the next several days, Israeli forces pursued the routed Egyptians across the Sinai, inflicting severe casualties. There was a second front in the Six-Day War that opened on June 5th when Jordan, reacting to false reports of an Egyptian victory, began shelling Israeli positions in Jerusalem. Israel responded with a devastating counterattack on East Jerusalem and the West Bank, and the last phase of the fighting took place among 
Israel's northeastern border with Syria. On June 10th, 1967, six days later, a mm-hmm. UN-brokered ceasefire took effect and the six-day war came to an abrupt end. It was later estimated that about 20,000 people <sighs> of the Arabian Peninsula and 800 Israelis had died in just 132 hours of fighting. Oh my gosh, that's awful. It sounds awful. Exactly. So the leaders of the Arab states were left shocked by the severity of their defeat. And Egyptian President Nasser even resigned in disgrace only to promptly return to office after Egyptian citizens showed their support with massive demonstrations for him. The Six Day War had huge geopolitical consequences in the Middle East, fanning the flames of the Arab-Israeli conflict. And still wounded by their defeat in the Six-Day War, Arab leaders met in Khartoum, Sudan in August 1967 and signed a resolution that promised no peace, no recognition, and no negotiation with Israel. So it's very tense over there. Mm -hmm. So starting on June 5th, 1967, running until June 10th, 1975, okay? So this this is eight years. The Suez Canal was blocked by Egypt. It remained closed to international shipping until general agreement was near. Wow. So, I had no idea. Yes. So by the way, 15 cargo ships that had already entered the canal at the time of the blockade's implementation remained trapped there in no. the canal for more than eight years. And these ships eventually earned the nickname the Yellow Fleet for the desert sands that caked their decks. Most, oh my gosh. Yes. So... I mean, the the good news is it wasn't like the people were stranded in there forever and they died. Um, yeah, yeah. Most of the crew members were rotated on and off of their stranded vessels on three-month assignments, and the rest passed the time by forming their own floating communities and hosting <laughs> sports and social events. Um, but they're basically are they're trapped in the canal with their with their ships and their cargo. Oh my gosh. Um, also as the years passed, their fleets even developed their own stamps and internal systems of trade. But um, <laughs> oh by gosh. the time they were allowed to finally leave the canal in 1975, only two of these 15 vessels were actually still seaworthy enough to make the voyage the rest of the way under their own power. Yeah. I mean, they're just like kind of sitting there for eight years yep. without any ability to like <clears throat> fix them or, you know, yeah. keep do upkeep and yeah, that's wild. It's that's wild. It's nuts. So U.S. and British minesweepers eventually cleared the Suez Canal and made it once again safe for passage. As a gesture of peace, the new Egyptian president, Anwar Sadat, reopened the canal in 1975, and he led a convoy of ships northbound to Port Said. Um, The closure of the canal from 67 to 75 led to the use of large oil tankers on the route around the Cape of Good Hope and prompted Mm. the development of the Sumed pipeline from the Suez to Alexandria, which opened in 1977. Uh, The increased size of oil tankers, the largest of which couldn't use the canal anyway and the mm-hmm. development of sources of crude oil in areas outside of the canal route had actually reduced the canal's importance in the international oil trade so they oh, wow. had been getting a lot of money from oil trading that was going mm-hmm. through the thing and then people were like well we got to go the other way anyway let's make our ships bigger <laughs> so just... so egypt lost a lot of money on that wow huh And Israeli troops remained in the Sinai Peninsula until 1981 when, as part of the Egypt-Israel Peace Treaty of 79, the so-called multinational force and observers was stationed there to maintain order and protect the canal. They remain in place to this day. Uh, 
So nowadays, um, today, an average of 50 ships navigate the canal daily, carrying more than 300 million tons of goods per year. Upon entering the canal at Port Said or Port Suez, ships are assessed for tonnage and cargo. Um, Passengers have ridden without charge since 1950. And the ships are actually handled by one or two pilots for actual canal transit. The Mm. major northbound cargoes consist of crude petroleum and petroleum products, coal, ores, and metals, and fabricated metals, uh, along with wood, um, oil seeds, and cereals. And southbound traffic consists of cement, fertilizers, fabricated metals, cereals, and empty oil tankers. (laughs) In uh, 2014, the Egyptian government oversaw an $8 billion expansion project that widened the Suez from 61 meters to 312 meters for a 21-mile distance. And this project took one year to complete. And as a result, the canal can accommodate ships to pass both directions simultaneously now. So there you go. Wild. That's that's what you got to know about the Suez Canal. It was British and French at the Mm -hmm. beginning. Um, It runs through Egypt. It's 120 miles. There's been a couple of big conflicts that happened as a result, but it is um, the shortest distance between basically between Europe and Asia. Amazing. I didn't know any of that. That was amazing. Thank you, Julia. You're welcome. So This would have been helpful a couple weeks ago <laughs> for a learned league question, but it's okay. It's all right. It was what inspired Hindsight. you anyway. Yes. So this quiz is called From Sea to Shining Sea. It is a quiz on words that start and end with the letter C. It's it's like a crossword clues uh, round, if you will. So I'll spot you the number of letters in the word along with the definition, and you give me the word. Great. Ready? I can do this. Question one. Six letters. A weak organic acid with the chemical formula C6H8O7 found naturally in lemons and limes. Question two, six letters. A high quality brandy properly distilled in Western France. Question three, 14 letters. Having an extreme or irrational fear of confined places. Question four, five letters. Relating to a city or town, especially its administration. Question five, 10 letters. Two or more objects that share the same center or axis, as seen in the Target logo. Question six, five letters. A device or computer program which encodes a data stream or signal for transmission or storage with a function that reverses the encoding for playback or editing. Question seven, 14 letters. A feature or quality belonging typically to a person, place, or thing and serving to identify it. Question eight, seven letters. Pots and other articles made from clay hardened by heat. Question nine, 13 letters. Relating to or characterized by the eating of the flesh of an animal by another animal of its own kind. And question 10, eight letters, involving or relating to treatment intended to restore or improve a person's appearance. I will give you about a minute to think about it, and then we'll be back with your answers.
I, one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, I, okay, here we go. <laughs> I can do this. You can do this. I can do this. All right. From C to Shining C, a quiz on words that start and end with the letter C. I will give you all the number of letters in the word along with the definition, and you give me the word. Question one, six letters. A weak organic acid with the chemical formula C6H8O7, found naturally in lemons and limes. Is that citric? Yes. Yes. Check. Boop, boop. Question two, six letters, a high quality brandy properly distilled in Western France. Okay. High quality. Uh, is that, oh, no, 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 it's not. I was going to say claret, but that's not it. Um, it's to start and end with the letter C. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> um, oh, cognac. Yes. Cognac. Woo. Check. It can only be called cognac if it's made in that specific region of France. Of course. Yeah. Question three. 14 letters. Having an extreme or irrational fear of confined places. That's claustrophobia. Boo. No. Claustrophobic. Begin. I'm sorry. Claustrophobic. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I, my C looked like an A. I apologize. Okay. I'm sorry. All I'm right. sorry. Claustrophobic. Yes. Uh -huh. Matches. Claustrophobic. Matches the theme. All right, question four, five letters relating to a city or town, especially its administration. That's civic. Correct. Woo. Check. Question five, 10 letters, two or more objects that share the same center or axis as seen in the target logo. Um, hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Is it concentric? You are correct. Yes. Concentric. Woo. Woo. All right. Question six. Five letters. A device or computer program which encodes a data stream or a signal for transmission or storage with a function that reverses the encoding for playback or editing. You said it's five letters? Mm-hmm. Is it? See, now that's not five letters, though. Uh... Mm. <laughs> uh, like if you um if you go to play like a digital video file on your computer you might have uh -huh. to make sure that something is installed so that that file format will play on your computer is it a codec yes oh i didn't know that was even a word <laughs> Yes. You know what? I'm going to say I codec. got that right. Yeah, I'll say you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. All right. Question seven. 14 letters. A feature or quality belonging typically to a person, place, or thing and serving to identify it. Uh, a quality that serves to identify it. I'm having a really hard time, like, parsing that definition. <laughs> So you could say that something has many qualities or. Oh, it's a characteristic. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> characteristic. Check. Check. I got that right. All right. <laughs> Question eight. Okay. Seven letters. Mm -hmm. Pots and other articles made from clay hardened by heat. Uh, that's ceramic. Correct. Woo. Check. Question nine. 13 letters. 
relating to or characterized by the eating of the flesh of an animal by another animal of its own kind. That's cannibalistic. Correct. Woo. Okay. <laughs> coming down, coming down to question 10. Okay. I don't have an answer for this. So, so I'm going <laughs> to have to really parse it. Okay. Eight letters. Eight letters. Involving or relating to treatment intended to restore or improve a person's appearance. Okay. No, I have this. I have this. Hold on. Just give me a second. I'm going to take off my headphones. <laughs> I, I Don't worry. <laughs> this, you know what? I'm going to take as much time as I need take for this because need I need this. Okay. We all need this, everyone. Okay. Right. <laughs> I know it. Right. Is it cos- is it cosmetic? The answer is cosmetic. Yeah! Okay, the celebratory yeah! music with the horn and the confetti. <laughs> she got up. She got up from her computer. She is dancing like an inflatable <laughs> tube man. She's fla- She's ru- she's left the room. Yeah! She's walking in circles. <laughs> I'm popped off. I'm free of this curse. curse. (laughs) Episode 160. Lauren gets a hundred percent on the quiz. (laughs) Oh, the colors are so the colors are so different now. (laughs) Freed from this curse, this prison I've made for myself. I mean, let's just end it. Yeah, we're done. (laughs) I got nothing else to say. Thanks for listening, you guys. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.